Hello fellow time travelers, Tony Witt here. I've just finished editing this episode, and I'm struck yet again by the fact that there's so much that we never get to. We only have so much time to record every episode, what with dogs running around and everything, and as I look over my notes, I notice that yet again, there are all sorts of things we missed in this episode. For example, at one point, the doctor actually says, damnation, something that William Hartnell would never have gotten away with on screen, and yet we completely missed the chance to talk about that. So you can do us a favor. If you see that we missed something that you noticed while reading this week's book, or any of the books that we cover in the series, then you can help us out by commenting on our Facebook page, or on our brand new subreddit on Reddit, which we didn't even have when we recorded this episode. It's at reddit.com forward slash r, as in Randy, forward slash dwtargetbc, all run together. If you do so, you might even get a chance to win a free Doctor Who book. Consider it our token of thanks to you for pointing out where we screwed up. And now, without further ado, here's this week's episode. Enjoy! Hello fellow time travelers, and welcome back to the Doctor Who Target Book Club, the podcast in which we undertake the colossal task of discussing in story order all of the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whit, and today we again have our three-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979, that would be me. There's also our intermediate-level casual fan who's seen several episodes, but has not previously read any of the books until these podcasts, and this time it's none other than Dalton Hughes. Hello, Dalton. Hello. And back again. Back again. <laughs> back from the frozen tundra of, what, North Carolina, South Carolina? Yeah, it wasn't so frozen. But it wasn't it a tundra. Was, no, it, <laughs> it was nice. But it was the Carolinas, so yeah. there you go. Yeah. And finally... We welcome back the novice fan who has seen little to none of the original series still and has previously read only a few of the books for this podcast, and that's the always lovely Sheena Anna Para. Hello, Hello, Sheena. Today, we're looking at the novelization of the sixth Doctor Who story, The Aztecs, and without further ado, here are some fast facts. Doctor Who, The Aztecs, adapted by John Lucarotti from his own script that aired from 523-64 to 613-64, published by Target Books in 1984. As of this recording in March of 2017, this title is currently out of print, but is available as an unabridged audiobook from BBC Audio, 121 pages. Alright, a couple bits of trivia about this one. We've spoken previously of John Lucarotti on this podcast. Um, some of us spoke well of him, others not so well. <laughs> yes. I'm guessing you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would be me. I can tell your taste. Mm-hmm. He wrote the script and the novelization of Marco Polo, which we addressed in our fourth episode of the podcast. So if you'd like to know more about this extremely interesting and well-traveled writer, our listeners, you should go back and listen to that episode. It is a good listen. It also marks the first time our panel has ever actually disagreed about the quality of a book. Well, actually, it was just me disagreeing, but whatever. All right, I'm going to read you the blurb on the back. The TARDIS materializes in Mexico during the Aztec civilization. 
during the Aztec civilization. The doctor and his companions step outside to discover they are inside a tomb. The tomb, it turns out, of Yataxa, once high priest of the Aztecs. Barbara is hailed by, as Yataxa's reincarnation by Otlock, the high priest of knowledge, and Tlotoxel, high priest of sacrifice, when they find her in the precincts of the tomb wearing the bracelet of the deceased priest, deceased priest, deceased priest, now revered as a god. And she takes advantage of her position of unaccustomed power to try and dissuade the Aztecs from practicing human sacrifice. Ooh. Not quite as exciting as the blurb for no. Marinus, but mm. yeah, it at least describes the story. I'm going to pass around the book because this is an interesting one. The cover, it does capture the story. The, the weird thing about it is, though... That this is 1984, and by this point they are doing covers that have actors who are in the story as part of the cover, like they did with Marco Polo. Yeah. And I assume that's supposed to be Tlatoxel on the cover, but that is not the actor who played Tlatoxel. Doesn't look anything like him, in fact. It's just really weird. They would have had the photo references for the actor whose name is escaping me. But that's not him. That's just some generic Aztec blood sacrificer, I guess. Some white guy who looks like an Aztec? Yeah, I guess yeah. so. <laughs> I guess that's exactly what it is. So I'm going to start off just jumping right in. What were your first impressions of this one? Um, Sheena, let's go with you first. My first impressions, I liked it. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know, it's just kind of, I don't know, from the last story we read... It was kind of like monotone to me, sort of. Like, really? it was just kind of, uh, ah. you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. just because the last book was just like up, you know, you're in different places, you're going to different worlds. I did like that it was, you know, about a certain time frame, like in the Americas. Mm-hmm. But um, I just thought it was kind of funny, some of the things with it, like the fact that they got there and they could all speak. Oh. As ticking, even though that's that's probably, <laughs> even though that's the probably the whole like TARDIS thing, mm-hmm. yeah. or that's how it would be answered. But I just thought it was kind of. Funny. It was the first time you noticed it. Yeah. Probably because they're in an Earth. Yeah, setting. like it had the whole different time. Yeah, exactly. I hadn't thought about that. It does make it's a lot more. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's more conspicuous when they go back to Earth and they're yeah. definitely in another culture. Yeah. And suddenly they are speaking the language of yeah of yeah. a certain time yeah okay yeah. so this one you didn't like i mean it was much. okay i like i liked it i it, it was really easy to read i didn't not like it i just didn't it wasn't like my fave so far. okay not your All right. yeah this is yeah. the first time you've even come close to disliking one yeah of it's not that i disliked it it was just just kind of like i liked parts of it i like certain aspects of it but that's probably just like the feminist part of me that probably like those oh, parts but yeah. um go bark yeah exactly <laughs> but i mean it, in all in all honesty i mean it was just kind of like eh. all right don uh i really enjoyed it i really enjoyed um getting like multiple plot lines happening at the same time uh i feel like I know we talked about, um, on the last podcast, we talked about Keys and Marinus having a very James Bond feel, but I feel like this really has, like, espionage kind of feel, where you're, really? like, you're getting, you're getting, like, double crosses, and you're getting double double crosses, and you're yeah. getting, like, people acting one way behind someone's back, and you're getting, like, all of this, uh, just, 
yeah, it, it felt very much like espionage, and it felt hmm. so like having that being brought up with like it being the Aztecs was just interesting. It's like, you know thinking so, of his in the historical context, the political machinations, in other words. Yeah, yeah, because this is a very political story in some ways. Yeah. We've got. Otlock and Tlatoxel vying for power, even though yeah. Otlock's got the power, Tlatoxel seems to want it. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting, and I felt like that was something that kind of tied back to um, some of the different characters we had seen in previous stories. Mm-hmm. Um, just that that seemed to be like a theme through Marco Polo with oh, yeah. uh, Tigana. Be- being the intermediate Doctor Who fan, and in, in other stories that I've seen, right. there's there's that bit of a, a character that's a little deceptive and a little driven by their own want. Yeah. And in fact, that's something we really should talk about, whether or not Plotoxel's motivations for what he does are clear ones. Because with Marco Polo, Tagana's motivations aren't really all that clear. He's just a villain to be a villain. Whereas yeah. Plotoxel... I don't know if those motivations are clear or not. I mean, I think it's just with him, it was just, it's their culture. You know what I mean? Like, that's what they do. They sacrifice people, and these other people are from, I mean, well, some of them are from the future or wherever, Mm -hmm. and then some are from, like, the 19-whatever, 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, span time, but Mm -hmm. in the present, almost kind of. You know, they think sacrifice is bad, but this is, like, what they believe in. But then they're trying to, you know, when Barbara tries to, you know, make it so that they don't sacrifice mm-hmm. anyone, that's kind of where they get messed up, oh, where they could have okay. just let it go, you know? Yeah. But, I mean, I don't think he's a true villain in the sense that he's doing anything that's not outside the norm for their culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so it's more like a um, conflict between conservatism and progressivism. Yeah. Because that people that don't want to change. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And really, in the end, um, that's kind of like the moral of the whole story and kind of what it ends up turning to is, is the doctor basically saying to Barbara, you know, this is how things are. You can't change that. Right. Overall. Yeah. But you did change one person's mind. Yeah. Yeah. And that led him to do whatever. It's kind of like open-ended what happened to Otlock. But mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, because it ends up being about saving one man rather than an entire yeah. civilization. Yeah, a doomed civilization, which they knew how that was going to turn out anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, I feel like, yeah, reading this, re- it's like, Barbara, do you really think that, I mean, they say Cortez is coming in 12 years. It's like, yeah. do you really think 12 years is going to completely change the way the Aztecs Existed. A lot can happen in twelve. A lot years. can happen in twelve years, but you have to look at the history of the Aztecs. It's, yeah. It was a it was a history that took way more than twelve years to get to where it was. Yeah, that's a point. Well, it also too though would do like against the whole like how typical time travel is seen is that like you know with the, like the butterfly effect, right? So yeah. called. You go back, you change one thing, and everything changes. This is saying like. No matter what you do, mm-hmm. you're not going to change time. Yes. So I kind of like that in a sense that it's not like, oh, I kill a bug here and then mm-hmm. there's dino. You know what I mean? Like, right. yeah. which is kind of ridiculous. But I like the fact that it was like you time traveled back. You're not going to change anything. You might change right. a few people. Maybe they'll, the you know, when right. Cortez comes, they won't all get slaughtered. And who right. knows? You know, like. Yeah. 
what's going to happen, yeah. but it's not going to really change the whole. Mm -hmm. One more point, and then we can move on. Sorry, Tommy. Yeah, I like funny. the I like the way they brought that up with um, like the doctor kind of proves that with the, the first initial sacrifice they see. You know, Barbara's like no, and they keep him from being killed with the, the knife, but then. He jumps. He jumps he off. Yeah. And he still dies. So, and in the end, the event still took place, but it just wasn't the way they wanted it to yeah. be. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, it's kind of in a way, like like you said, the event still happened. Time still happened. Yeah. And what needed to happen still happened in a way. Mm -hmm. um, it just wasn't what they expected. Yeah. yeah. And this is actually the first time that Doctor Who ever tries to address that what it is that a time traveler can and cannot yeah. do in time um they're gonna get a much they're gonna get much more much more uh excited dog they're going to get much tighter about that as they go on mm -hmm. obviously until you get to the concept of fixed points in time with the new series mm -hmm. And in fact, I, th I think we talked about the, um, the Fires of Pompeii episode before, mm -hmm. when the Doctor and um, Donna, that's right, the, the Doctor and yeah. Donna, the Tenth Doctor and Donna, arrive in Pompeii on Volcano Day. Yeah, and, and she wants warn to warn people yeah, and nothing can be done. She wants to do that. Yeah. He says, we, we can't. Yeah. Because as a Time Lord, I know what these points are and that they can't be changed. Yeah. And yet they end, things end up happening slightly differently and they realize, oh, there's alien intervention here. There's at least some wiggle room. Mm -hmm. We can do something about it. But this is the first time the doctor says anything along the lines of, you can't change history, not one line. Yeah. It's more, you can't change this history. Yeah. This is always going to happen. I wrote into Doctor Who magazine about that, and I said, it's nice to see, after Fires of Pompeii aired, and I said, it's nice to see this formulated for the first time since, say, you know, the Aztecs, and I won some free books as a yeah, result, because cool. it was Letter of the Month, so I was like, ah, yeah, my little claim to fame there, <laughs> but um, it, it means that this is a fairly important story in Doctor Who history, because it finally starts shaping what's going to come later as to how time travel and how the Doctor's adventures can have an effect on anything yeah. to the yeah. point that they do, which yeah. is fascinating. And that would only have to do with, like, in our realm of time anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, if they come back to Earth. Because oh, otherwise okay. there's no, what are you going to base it against? Well, that's the interesting thing, because... Um, I believe what Lucarati meant uh -huh. when he said you can't change history, not one line, he he meant exactly what you meant, yeah. which is Earth's literal history. Yeah. Anything that happened before Barbara and Ian were born, they can't change. Yeah. Except two stories later, they're going to end up in revolutionary France, and mm -hmm. things aren't going to change there either, yeah. but they'll at least know that they can't change. Yeah. Um, it comes later to mean... Any point that the Doctor says is important in what's called the Web of Time. Mm -hmm. And that's something that comes up again in uh, an otherwise really stupid story called uh, Attack of the Cybermen. That's just ridiculous. Uh, in a <laughs> nutshell, this is what happens. The Cybermen's home planet, Mondas, comes back into Earth's solar system in 1986. The events of this story take place in 1985. It was actually filmed in 1985. The Cybermen have traveled back in time to try to prevent that from happening. But it always does happen. It's always going to happen. Because it's part of the web of time. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and that's the only time they really get back to it to say certain events always happen. 
like no matter the, what. Yeah, like the upcoming Dalek invasion of Earth, for instance. Mm. The Doctor can only change part of that, the part that he's actively involved in, but could he actually go back a few years and stop the Daleks from invading? Never. Yeah. It has to happen. It has to happen just the way you can change how... You might be able to change the outcome, just not the fact that they came. Exactly. So the question I have for y'all about this is... This is the Doctor's first insistence that they not interfere. Is it to save their necks? Is it because this is history and he knows it? Or is it a combination of both? I would say both. Mm. Okay, why so? I would say both because, A, like you said, he already knows about time. Mm -hmm. And that you can't change time or you can't change a whole civilization. And that's not going to happen. But also, too, the fact that she keeps interrupting certain things that they're doing... It's making her look like a false god. And the whole time they're trying... She came... If, if she would have put the bracelet on her arm, they wouldn't have thought she was a god. They would have killed her. Right. And they would have killed everybody else. So the <laughs> fact that she posed as a god and like ran with it and knew some history about the Aztecs, that helped her out. So she was able to play the part and whatever. And then, But then when she keeps like interrupting things and trying to make them the way she wants them it's it's like throwing the balance off and they know that a god of theirs would never do that Mm, so that's why it's so it's to save to keep them safe yeah it's to keep them safe and because he knows he can't i mean you can't change a whole civilization you know and they're only going to be there for a short amount of time anyway so like hopefully yeah hopefully (laughs) hopefully so, you know, I mean, there's not much you can do. He's probably just trying to get in and get out as yeah. easy as he can. Okay, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah. I think I think it gets into kind of like a gray space um, because it's dealing with a history of somewhere that we know the history of. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we as readers know that the Aztecs existed as a civilization on planet Earth, we have to worry about keeping their history intact, keeping right. their story and what happened intact. Whereas before, you know, if they're on a different planet, and they even touch on this in the new series, which I've, I've seen a good bit of, like, if stuff is happening currently, then they're more active. They're more involved in making the history. Right. But the Doctor knows that this is something that's in the past. It's a time machine. So they are in the past, and he's trying not to influence the future. Mm-hmm. And given that Barbara and Ian are from Earth, he doesn't want to influence their future and quite possibly end up you know, right. messing with their timelines. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's both. It really yeah. is both. And so that layer, it's there. It wasn't so much there in Marco Polo, which I thought was kind of unusual. Yeah. And so I don't know if that was just because it was an earlier story. Maybe that was something they thought of as they started to kind of I think that might be write it. It's like, well, this is dealing with time. This is dealing with space. How do we deal with the implications involved in changing history right and Um, i'm wondering if the reason why that doesn't come up in marco polo is because in marco polo supposedly getting there is half the fun it's all the fun yeah the whole thing is the travelogue and there's nothing necessarily happening that they have to change that they see could be changed there's nothing or that they'd want to change or that they'd want to change exactly yeah they wanted the yeah. native americans to not ever, ever yeah. take it away right. that's not gonna happen and i guess yeah. i guess yeah that brings up the point that this is like we said changing how, who the aztecs are yeah has a larger implication than marco polo traveling with, with these americas. with these unusual travelers that that's 
Right. That's just part of his own personal yeah. history as opposed to history as a larger idea. Sure. That leads to my next question then, and this is something that I've been, you know, ever mm. since first reading this book in the 80s and then seeing the episode a few years later, I wondered about this. If Barbara had been successful, what would actually change? When the Spaniards got there, they yeah. would have... Well, I mean, I don't think anything would have changed. I mean, um, Spaniards the Spaniards would have got there, the they still would have wanted all the gold, and they still would have probably tried to kill as many as they could. I don't think the Spaniards came there and were like, oh no, these people are giving human sacrifices, let's take all their gold and kill them. Like, right, they were right. going to do that regardless. Yeah, so, was, were... I don't think it would have really changed anything. I think that's kind of like... When this book was written, what, in the 80s, you said? Right. I think that was kind of, like, the consensus of maybe back then of, like, what happened. Because, right. like, they didn't really, like... I remember when I was a kid, like, they didn't teach you about the fact that, like, white, you know, the Spaniards would come to America and just kill everybody. There, there was no yeah. real reason other than the fact that they wanted the stuff that they yeah, had. they were conquistadors. You know what I mean? like, they were Yeah, conquerors. they came here to conquer. So yeah. I don't think it would have changed anything. I think it's just, like, a, a nice way to think about things that, oh, well, maybe mm. it would... But it would have happened regardless. Okay, all right. <clears throat> so I mean, it probably would have ended up in my being the mind same anyway. now. Yes, if I was in the eighties, I probably would have thought about this kind well, of differently because and, nobody thought about it like that. Well, and from my understanding of of the the Aztecs and uh, you know the Incas, <laughs> the Incas were more of a peaceful um, civilization, right. from my understanding. And the same thing still happened to them. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it would... if if the Aztecs would have been just as you know more more peaceful, it still would have happened. Yeah. If not easier. Yeah. You know the fact the Aztecs were more of a, um, I don't want to say warmongering, but that they they did they were able to defend themselves some. Yeah. Right? They still could fight back, but yeah. like they even say in the book, you're not gonna match. The power of the conquistadors with anything that the Aztecs yeah. had their at their disposal. Right. Well, it I just, mean, at first compare. they would have been able to like literally <clears throat> kill all the first ones that came there. But I mean, as people who've read history books, we already know that like they thought somebody white would come from across the sea and you know yeah. be, would change things. You know what right. I mean? They didn't know if it was for the bad or for the good, but this was something that was already prophesied. Yeah. So and sadly, in enough, all actuality, they'd... and then like the whole like part with the you know, with the sacrifices and how they say it in the book, how they let kept sacrificing like thousands to try to get like them to go yes. away. That was just an act of desperation, probably. Yeah, and strangely enough, that's a historical fact yeah. too. That yeah. did happen. That the Aztecs went through a terrifying period of just thinking that sacrifice was going yeah, to take that the care god of everything. Would be, the gods would look be down. appeased well, by yeah. more blood. And, well, and part of that could also be too that if they really did believe that sacrificing themselves didn't indeed make them gods, then that would be the ultimate way to go, to go out. out yeah. why, why be killed by uh, someone Somebody from across the know. sea yeah. fi fighting them when you can sacrifice yourself to your god and know in the end, for your own belief, that that is something you should do. That's the most honorable thing you could do, right. was to sacrifice yourself for your people. Yeah, and Otlock's response when he hears about that day is is horrifying yeah, yeah. He's but he is also thinking he's probably thinking as any right thinking aztec would think is well if it was necessary to do it sure but she points out it comes to nothing yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. 
he says, "What's what are the results?" or something like that, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And there's no result. To there's it. no avail to it. There's no silver lining at all. Just no. yeah. So I think in the end, like that, what I, what I'm discovering, Tony, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> in reading a lot of these, and and what I've experienced with seeing a lot of the series, is just there are so many larger philosophical questions yes. that get, that that arise, which is really like, I mean, I don't know if it's intentional. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's just part of the, the amazing tapestry of history that we have to draw from. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting to see all these things play out and make you really question uh, your own beliefs, your own oh, yeah. feelings about things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And as... <laughs> Well, bearing in mind that there's still that educational mandate to the show at this yeah. point. I mean, obviously, this is the historical. They're learning history. Of course. There you of go. Course. Yeah. Uh, and they're learning um, mostly accurate history. Some of it turns out to be wrong in the televised version. Mm-hmm. And Lucrati changes that around and does certain things such as correct some of the cringier lines in the uh, televised episode, Susan just goes, you know, gaga over the fact that there are cartoons on the walls, but she doesn't ask about the cartoons and what they mean in the televised version. Because oh, you she's talked just about this in the last one. Oh, really? Remember when we were, um, it's probably like the second book, you had brought that up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the about the yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. And he, in the book, at least, she says, well, why, why is that? And Barbara has an answer for her, yeah. which is not in the televised version. But I'm wondering if all that full, full, philosophy, that's the word I was trying to say, <laughs> philosophy is intentional, if they're trying to teach a little bit of philosophy and say, okay, if you could travel back in time and stop this from happening. Would you? Would you? Yeah. I mean, they are, for instance... I think that's the whole thing of writing about time travel, though. You know what I mean? It's like, if you are, a, as a human, in your life, if you could go back in time, would there be things you'd change? Right. Of course there would be. Yes. So, yeah, I think anyone who time traveled would say, oh, okay, I would stop this from happening. Yeah. I would, you like know. Like the Hitler period. Yeah, exactly, exactly yeah. what I was thinking when I was saying it. But you know what I mean? Like, I would do that or I would do this or <laughs> try to change things if you can. And I think that's smart that you can't. Yeah, well, Genesis of the Daleks, Tom Baker's story, will address that. Yeah. And the Doctor himself, when he's when he is faced with actually destroying the Daleks forever, he says, if you were taken back and shown a child, and you were told that that child would grow up to kill millions, would you kill that child? They don't say Hitler, of course. Yeah. And his companion very, very, very reasonably says, we're talking about the Daleks here. You do realize it's not a child we're talking about, it's the Daleks, but it's still that question. This might be what they were aiming for. And I think it's part of the reason why the story is so well regarded, because when it comes to plotting, it's kind of a typical TARDIS crew is separated from the TARDIS, they have to get back to it, that sort of runaround, which Hartnell stories do a lot. But this one has that deeper dimension to it that that and Barbara. <sighs> Let's talk about Barbara. Oh yeah. my God. What did you think of Barbara in this book? I love Barbara. I mean, I've always loved Barbara from the from the first story I read with her. She always was interesting. She always was that character that seemed 
she was curious, but she was reserved. She was thoughtful. She was always like cerebral. She was thinking about things. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, sometimes Ian's just like acting. Oh yeah. And doing, and it's like, but that's He's such a boy. <laughs> right. Uh, that's the way you get in trouble. Like, think about what you're going to do. Think about how your actions could have effects. And maybe Barbara saying that now, Barbara maybe isn't quite thinking about the effects. But I love I love her just kind of coming into her own and kind of just taking control and being like, well, this is as much my adventure as it is yours, Doctor. Oh, yeah. I'm still here, too. I'm still here trying to figure this all out as well um who says you're always right right so i liked that i liked i liked her just kind of like stepping in there and, and she sets herself up against him in yeah probably the first time since edge of destruction this is the first yeah. time they've had a serious kind of you know butting of heads which is always good when you have that sort of narrative conflict in a script but um yeah what about what about you sheena um i agree um, in the sense that I think she was incredibly strong. She used her acting chops, mm. even though who's to say she's an actress? Um, but she used her knowledge of something she knew. Yeah. She played, you know, with it. She was able to, you know, show herself as a regal, you know, goddess. And she, you know, she played the part. Right. Um, I do think it was kind of foolish to think that you could change things. When I was reading, I was like, "Oh, Barbara, what are you doing?" You know, like every like every part where she would like go in way, she would be like, oh, "Okay, well, I don't want sacrifices." Then they would say, "Oh, Susan, well, Susan's gotta go here now," and it's like, "Oh, like you know what I mean?" Like it's like every little thing she did, it kind of like made Ian have to become you know this warrior, and right. then like Susan had to go to this school, and the doctor had to go to this old folks garden. You know what I mean? So it was like. And get engaged. It's like, it's like, I, it's like, I get it, Barbara. I know you're doing a good, you know, but, yeah. Yeah, she's causing more yeah, conflict Yeah, she kind of was them. the person who was driving the wheel of conflict. Mm-hmm. Sort of. And it's, it's Even something... though she was doing it for a very, I mean, she was doing it for a noble cause. I oh, just, yeah. it, it, I mean, this is only, what, like, maybe six books in? Yeah. And I don't think she gets the whole no. journey yet. You know no, what I mean? Like. Quite. Not so, at the beginning. I yeah, think by yeah. the end of it, she kind of yeah. understands. Oh, but yeah. I mean, like, I, I, I love the fact that she was able to, you know, take her knowledge and use it and act the part. And, you know, she got, you know, a few people to, like, understand her, which was good. She definitely did have the ball rolling on this story. Oh, yeah. Was for sure. She, Absolutely. She gripped the story for sure. Definitely. Her and Ian, I think. And yeah. she comes off so much better in the book. Um, I mean, she's fantastic in the televised version, yes, but there are also all these nice little bits in the book, such as my favorite moment in the entire book is when she first hears that Susan, not knowing that it's Susan, has rejected the advances of uh, the perfect victim of marriage. And internally, she says, good for you, girl, (laughs) in chapter 10, page 81. And it's just this amazing moment, which doesn't, obviously come across on screen because it can't but all that internal stuff and susan comes off as even stronger too which is strange she's not particularly weak in the televised version but she does break and break down in tears at one point when she's in that school whereas that doesn't happen in the book it's more like yeah i'm gonna choose who i marry and of course in maybe five or six more stories she will so she'll be gone 
We won't have to deal with Susan anymore. Uh, a day that I'm kind of looking forward to avidly. But no, no, no. Susan's fine. It's just she gets on your nerves a bit. Ah, Kameka. We need to talk about Kameka. We need to talk about the doctor's fiance. The doctor's fiance. <laughs> How do we think he feels about her? Is she a means to an end that he's feeling kind of guilty about? Or does he end up kind of having feelings that obviously he can't really do anything about? I think he likes her. I yeah. think he says at one point, like, at a different time, different place, this would work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think he likes her. I just think, like, I mean, there's nothing he can do. He's not going to stay in this time. She's not going to go with him. Yeah. You know? It's I don't one think of those that ever would have occurred to yeah, them it's back like, then. Yeah, it's like one of those things to where it's like you could like somebody, but it's not going to work out. Yeah. True. You know? And but, I, don't, I, I don't know that I ever felt that it was like a romantic thing. It was like a kindred spirit thing. It was like a you get me kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It was like they just really understood each other. Yeah. Um. I really, uh, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a romantic. I really liked the part with the cocoa. <laughs> oh, yeah, the cocoa was so sweet. <laughs> so sweet and so understated and so just like, that would be in a romantic comedy. Yes. But, but yeah, like, the doctor knows that he's like leading her on. And I yeah. think, and initi- he feels bad for it. I think yeah. initially he felt like, yes, it was a means to an end. It was an, I need you to help me figure this out, you know. And he's using her, but I feel like by the end of it, he really does kind of feel this this kinship. Yeah. Um, and like like you said, Sheena, like of course he knows he can't stay yeah. there. Mm-hmm. She's not going to come with him. Yeah. The Aztecs are going to you know be completely obliterated. It's going to happen. Yeah. And it's just this kind of acceptance of what it is. It's kind of like the amount of time <clears throat> you had with the person is good enough. Yeah. And obviously there's something, because you get that very last paragraph. The doctor put the pulley wheel into his pocket and felt something else. He took it out, and even in the dim light of the tomb, he knew it was the brooch Kameka had given him in the garden. It came from the tomb, therefore it should be left in the tomb, he thought. But then again, Kameka had given it to him as a present, so he slipped it back into his pocket, went into the TARDIS, and closed the door. And it's like this wonderful bit of disingenuousness on the doctor's part. It's like, well, she gave it to me as a present. I can keep it. (laughs) Well, I can keep it. Yeah. And it's a shame because there's this lovely non-verbal moment in the televised version at the very end. He takes the brooch out of his pocket. He looks at it smiles sadly, puts it on the tomb, and then starts off for the TARDIS, and then immediately just goes back and grabs it, almost like, oh, no, no. And then yeah. goes back in, and it's yeah. this regretful kind of, now I've got, I've got to take this with me. And it's not quite covered by that paragraph, and yet those feelings are definitely yeah. there. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely implied. That, mm. that, yeah, I, I even pictured it in my head, this kind of like moment of looking at it, maybe placing it, mm-hmm. and then well, feeling like, like no. it's not your place to keep a piece of <clears throat> mm-hmm. history type of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then he's like, oh, well, what's my history? I made It's it my her. history. Yeah. She yeah. gave it to she me. She gave it to me. She's... So, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's sitting around the TARDIS somewhere <laughs> on the shelf. <laughs> it's in, yeah. in one of those hallways. Yes. It's probably with all the keepsakes he got from Sarah Jane and from Rose and every other companion that fell in love with him. Yeah. So yeah. many. <laughs> exactly. And also so many females in history. Yeah. Like <laughs> Cleopatra and... <laughs> 
Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth. Oh, God. <laughs> yes, the Virgin Queen, not when I got through with her. Oh, it's just like, New Who gets so disgusting with that stuff. It yeah. really does. And it takes away some of the romance that comes from, from something like, like that. that. Yeah, yeah, which is just lovely, especially the Coco scene. Mm-hmm. Especially since that is played for laughs in the um, uh, televised version. Hartnell's a very good comic actor. And that comes across in the book, too. But also, uh, it's hilarious that on the DVD of the Aztecs, they do a, a South Park-type animation with uh, Tlatoxel and the other guy. And they talk about what the actual recipe, according to the Aztecs, for hot chocolate was. It had some blood in it. Yeah. Yeah, because it put blood in everything. <laughs> yeah, so he didn't exactly prepare it correctly. Maybe that's why she thought it was... Uh, the romance team. The romance part, yeah. The romance kind of it. About Lucarati's writing style. Well, you and I have had this discussion, so I'm going to ask Sheena yeah. to weigh in on this. What did you think of Lucarati as a writer? I thought that it flowed quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike some of the other books, it didn't like interrupt in places or mm-hmm. skip. Um, it did seem a little more... It seemed like... I don't know, I don't want to say, like, not not unintelligent, but, like, a little more childish. Okay, so it's geared more towards a yeah. younger Yeah. I mean, there was, like, the parts that were, like, of course, you know, philosophical, like, thinking, like, would you go... These are all thoughts that as adults we have, though, as right. we talked about before. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it was a lot of an easier read, I, in the sense that, even though I said this about the last one, and, and when I mean easy read before, mm-hmm. with the last book, Mar- you know, Keith yeah. Mary's... I mean that like it flows like when I read it I'm just like da 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 da. This was more of like simplistic okay. to me. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it wasn't there was no twists and turns that I kind of wasn't expecting. Okay, it was all telegraphed to something. Kind yeah yeah yeah. I mean, and that's not to say it was bad. Right. I never I never thought it was bad. I just thought it was it was incredibly easy. Mm, okay. Which is not always bad. Not necessarily, especially for the. Um... Target audience. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> anyway, sorry about that. Uh, Dalton. Um, yeah, I feel like he he wrote... Marco Polo. Yeah, so I got a lot of that similar kind of... Lots of descriptors. Lots of adjectives. Lots of, like, you really could get a feeling of the place and what it looked like. Mm. And you just... There was a lot of that. Um a lot of words it's a lot a lot a lot of words (laughs) but like you said i feel like it really flowed it really like Mm -hmm. you could really know what was happening because it was just it just yeah there there was for me there was parts of it though like with the police system and like the string and like when he was trying to explain those things i was like trying to think about like how is this work yeah like what are you saying that and that was what i didn't understand Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So like when he was describing parts of the, of the temple or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was like I'm not like how is a piece of silk like when when they were saying they were in the when they were trying to get into the temple right? right? I'm trying to imagine okay this string is going which way is it going is it going up mm-hmm. is it you know what I mean like I know it's going up but like where is this in conjunction to where they are? Exactly. Some of that... And that's what I couldn't understand, and that's the part that was like, Ugh. Some of that, and that's... And I reread is... it, and I'm like, why am I rereading this? Because it doesn't explain it. Well, <laughs> and it's a, it's a problem that we've had with a number of the books where the oh, yeah. ending is so 
truncated. The ending is so just like, and this it's, is what happened. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I feel like it plays out better on the screen because something that's... Maybe you can see, because you can it's visualize a, it's it. It's a pulley system that helps to pull it off and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But it very, it's just like, this is what happened. And it, it's trying to explain a very quick amount of time. Yeah, yeah you're right. And yeah. trying to just get it out. Yeah. Um, but that was like one of the things about his writing that I didn't really care for was that like there was just things that were explained that weren't really explained, and it was and it was something that I felt like needed to be explained. Right. You know what I mean? Because yeah, like a piece of silk does. string. Okay, they went to the aqueduct system, which means they went in under. They went. He went back mm-hmm. up. Now is where Barbara was. Mm-hmm. You know, posing as a false god. Was that in the same temple? Yes. She's so at then the he top went. Of the so temple. then he went up. He went all down. The way up. He went all the way to the top. Pull the string down. Oh, and then well, the it. string is actually for the, um... For the, for the, the door. door. Yeah. And that was above them? No, no. See, um, that's what I'm not like. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to... That's what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Like, a... And I reread these things, and I was like, where now is that's, the door? That's interesting, because... Because that's how I, like, when I'm reading something, I like to feel like I'm doing it. Right. You know what I mean? I thought it made more sense now that I was able to see it in yeah. print, especially with all this back and forth between the Doctor and Ian about, no, it works this way because mm. Fulcrum works this way. Because you have to pull way. up and out. I got right. that part. Yeah. But, like, where in the scope of things is this? Is this above them? Is it... Well, you know uh, what I mean? I'm guessing see. it's above them because they're probably on a plateau where they do the sacrifices and yes. the pyramid's probably behind them. Right. There's an inner chamber and then there's yeah. the wall and yeah. that flips out and it like flips this. out so they have to get it to go up but then how would that work uh it doesn't said, make a lot more sense in the televised more, version yeah yeah because he's because like i should have put it on the door because the door would have been leveraged i think i mean i think too yes. much into things probably no no, no, no. that's something that needs that's to be there like, yeah. part of it is is just them trying to explain very quickly something very quickly a lot, a lot, a lot of scientific and mathematic and physics <laughs> physics yeah. it's a lot like of physics said, to try to explain really quickly yeah, yeah. and like in the show I'm sure it's just like action yeah. and they just a string and everything they, still, the they still have the same problem but they don't won't work it through yeah, the same way just, and yeah. they do end up doing the pulley with the, the wheel and all that but I, I'll admit I've watched that story many times mm. because I love the story. Yeah. The televised version is amazing. But you get to that point and you're like, why how is this work? not pulling now? And I can kind of get it. Because and then how did they the get it to pull, though? Yeah. So because of the pulley. Oh, because it's wrapped around the wheel and it's causing a, a counterbalance to happen. But it's I think. But, the, but the string <laughs> is coming from inside the pyramid. Yes, but okay. they have the other end of it out yes. here. But how is that going to... Is it because it's pulling it this way, and so the door is swinging out? <laughs> I think so, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that's it. Yeah, so, But they really, don't have that without the pulley. It yeah, really they won't is have the, like, The pull. counterbalance. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and it really it really is, like, a bunch of physics. Yeah. It's totally, <laughs> it's totally just, like, yeah. the way you would pull on a door. Yeah. Like, if, if you yes. try to pull it one way, it's not going to work. Just yeah, because you have to pull it not up. exactly yeah. the right type of right. motion. Yeah. And you would think that would be clearer in the televised version, but here, I find it anyway yeah. for me anyway uh-huh. it's clearer yeah. and it's one of the things that Lucarati does well he also does fight sequences well yeah. weirdly better than Marco Polo yeah because remember I was complaining constantly constantly <laughs> in Marco Polo <laughs> about the fact that you'd read a line and you realize oh someone got killed oh yeah in the moment he got killed it's like yeah, what so it was like Whoa, a sentence wait. of yeah whereas the fight sequences yeah. with Ixta 
are actually fairly well described. Yeah, they were pretty good. Yeah, and he also did something that I absolutely love him for. I know, I just said I love John Lucarotti. I can't believe it either, listeners. But yes, he changes the ending, the final fight between Ian and Ixta, so that Ian isn't at fault for Ixta's death. In the televised version, it's pretty much Ian's fault. Oh. Because Ixta charges him and he ducks and lets him flip over and he falls off the temple. Here, if I remember correctly, that's not how it happens. It says that well, he, he shuffles back from the yeah. Yeah, he goes light. backwards and he falls would. backward. I mean, in the, tel- in, the tel- <laughs> in the televised version, uh, I haven't seen it, but like, if you're charging at someone and they duck out of your way and you fall off, that is your fault. Yeah. It's yeah. still not Ian's fault. You shouldn't have been charging at him like a jerk yeah. face. Like. Yeah. Well, he was trying to kill you, and if he dies, right. that's his problem. Exactly. That's his like, problem. I mean, Ian should like, not feel... I mean, why, yeah. Yeah, Ian should not feel... doing nothing but trying to kill you. Like, yeah. That's his fault. Constantly, too. Why is... I, well, I, I realize why. It's because... Tlotoxel has caused this sort of power struggle to happen. Yeah. Next to says, it would no, have happened was, regardless. Yeah, it probably would have, but if it hadn't been for Tlotoxel, whose name I could never pronounce, um, saying, no, 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 your servant must be lead our armies, and that, that's Ixta's position, that's... Yeah, I don't think Barbara there. or the goddess that she was playing would even really care. Mm-mm. So no. he made the whole thing about it. Yeah, I believe so. Wikipedia, I think, makes a mistake in regards to this book. Wikipedia says that John Lucarotti states that Ian and Barbara in this book are from the 1980s. In the book he says that? Yeah. That, Wikipedia actually says Lucarotti makes Barbara and Ian travelers from the 1980s. The only thing that I was able to find I don't is, remember... There's, there's no reference to it. The yeah. only reference to the 1980s is on page one. Ian took one from the toolkit, that's referring to a screwdriver, and gave it to the doctor, remarking that with any luck they were on Earth during the 1980s in an aerospace factory where the TARDIS could be thoroughly overhauled. Yeah. I didn't read that as them being no, from the 1980s. No. I read me that either. as Ian saying, I'm from the 60s, I'm sure in 20 years' time. Yeah. I'm sure in 20 years' time, um, even my culture will have something more advanced and be able to do that. Yeah, I didn't take that as that. Yeah, they're not from the 80s. Listeners, Wikipedia is wrong. They're not from the 1980s. Wikipedia is written by people who write it, isn't it? (laughs) Someone did not look up their citation correctly. Yeah, Yeah. so I probably have to go in and change You have to keep, like, trying to change history of Wikipedia. (laughs) Exactly. And it's not (laughs) a fixed point. Yeah. Aha! Yeah, because history is still being written. Lucarati also changes the dates. Squeaky again. (laughs) Lucarati also changes the dates. Mm. I don't know if you knew this. For instance, in the televised version, she says that the um, Yataxa died in around sometime around 1430, but in the book it's 1507. Okay. And I think the main reason they do that is because they then say the Spanish landed in 1519, and I think the whole point of that is that her saving Otlock is much more immediate. Because... Here's what I think. If she were to save him as early as 100 years earlier, 
God only knows what that could end up doing. That could change history because yeah. he would be a former Aztec going off to some other culture and somehow changing Maybe telling that. them something. And yeah. Whereas here, she seems not only to save him, but also there's that weird reference to Christ. Did anyone get that? Where at? Yeah, he's in chapter 13. In chapter 13, appropriately enough, the uh, chapter called False God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is a strange reference to uh, Christ. It is page 106. It's the last page of page th- uh, chapter 13. And this is Otlock speaking to Barbara. She I says, what manner of people are you, she demanded in indignation, who wallow in virtue and in bestiality? Bestiality? Yeah, when I read that word, I was like, bestiality. Bestiality? They're not doing any... Well, they worship turtles. Maybe that's what she's talking about. You Aztecs are schizophrenics. No, they didn't. They worshipped rabbits. Strangely enough. They worshipped rabbits. You Aztecs are schizophrenics. Otlock looked at her uncomprehendingly for a moment, probably because he didn't know the word schizophrenic. Then the realization dawned in his eyes. You Aztecs, he repeated. What manner of people are you? Yes, I yield ground to the Latoxel on one point. You are not the great spirit of Yataxa. You are not of our nation. I know not who you are, nor from whence you and your servants come. He pointed to the blood-red curtain. That secret is sealed in Yataxa's tomb. A god you may be, but not of, none of my knowing. He walked away from Barbara, his posy flowers against his chin, then turned to face her again. You have prophesied our annihilation if human sacrifice continues, yet you have only you have always spoken softly with respect and affection. There is a legend I have heard, told to me by a wanderer from the desert, of another god, far across the oceans, who spoke as you have spoken of gentleness and love, who was taken by those who opposed him and crucified as we crucify common thieves. Barbara did not reply. Otlock looked away, then turned back to her. What I can do, I shall do, he said. Farewell. And he walked with dignity from the temple. Two points there. One, that speech is not in the televised version. When Otlock takes his leave of Barbara, he does think she's a false goddess at one point, but then he comes around again and is okay with it, but he doesn't have the speech with her. She doesn't, you know, say bestiality and all that. But they don't make any mention of uh, Jesus. And also, this is the bigger question, would the Aztecs have heard anything about Jesus See, by 1530? I don't know, when I read that, like, to me, I didn't think about Jesus. Really? For some reason, like, I thought of the people, I thought of, like, okay, somebody from some other area saw some white people come over or something, mm-hmm. and maybe asked them about what was like, you know, somehow they talked. Right. And someone had talked about how people came over and maybe did bad stuff to them. Mm-hmm. I didn't really, I didn't, maybe I just didn't think about Jesus. I don't know. But I didn't, I didn't think of it as that when okay. I read it. That's not the first thing that came to my mind. Maybe I just wasn't putting it two and two together. Okay. But I took I it as like, it. Yeah, yeah, I just took it as like more of like somebody came, told them about like white people and that like maybe you know, they had been crucified. But that that's just it. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of nails yeah, well, it. Yeah, well, the coffin. No, and I yeah. intended. Yeah. No, so. yeah. I mean, but, like, why oh, would they have known about Jesus, though? Yeah. 
That's just it. Maybe that's why I didn't like put two and two together. Maybe they were missionaries. I don't know, but the Aztecs probably would have killed them. Um, possibly, but again, there were other there were other civilizations in the Americas at the time that they could have had contact with. They could have had contact with other people, but I think even that, like this timeline, it's too early. We're saying it's. What the fifteen? It's fifteen hundreds, and I mean it's like yeah. fifteen hundred AD. Yeah. So I mean, like that would have been fifteen hundred years after Jesus had risen. It's fifteen oh seven. So like, so the the Spaniards at that point would have been pretty strongly Catholic. I thought. Yeah, yeah. they would have been Crusaders. But early early explorers, um, there wouldn't have been like much of any kind of Christian settlement. In yeah, the, the that would have been their first thing to, like, go um, after was, like, trying to convert people to something else. Yeah, even even thinking they they may have had contact with the, of the First Nations of the United States, I don't even know that there were, like, Puritans or anyone in the United States that people could have had contact with that yeah. early on. Not they could have spread early. down to the Aztecs. I agree. Yeah, not that early. That's um, maybe why I didn't get the core... You know what I mean? Like, I didn't think about it. In that yeah. But, I mean... Again, I mean, this sure. is fiction, yeah. so Lucarati may have taken his own artistic freedom to put that in there as a reference. I mean, I kind of glazed past that yeah. initially. I read it, and I thought, you know, yeah. you know, some other kind of religion. But, yeah, it clearly says crucified yeah. like we do common thieves. By his own people. But crucified common thieves, exactly. Yeah, and so that's so very clearly... Yeah. That specifically says who it is. Um, And I cannot for the life of me figure out whether or not I think that's a good addition or whether it's an unnecessary I think it's unnecessary. I think it's unnecessary. I like it. I like the point of it. I like what he's saying, but I feel like it's it's extreme. I don't think it changes anything. Okay, so three votes, listeners. (laughs) Unnecessary. Yeah, I just think, yeah. I think and that's why when I read it, Mm -hmm. like, that's why my brain didn't go, Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, as it does. It did afterwards because I remember thinking, like, I think I was thinking, like, were they thinking about Jesus? But then I was like, no, that would not make any sense, and that's why I just kind of like was like, oh, maybe they mean something. I mean, the readers probably are. Yeah. There are lots of nice little touches in this book, such as the doctor's dismay at the stairs. Because you remember how dismayed he was at the horse riding, and now he's looking at all those stairs and thinking, yeah. "Oh my God! Every time I want to see Barbara, I have to yeah. go up these damn stairs." And that, that even um, I can't think of specifics, but I know in the new series there have been plenty <laughs> yes. of opportunities for the doctor to complain about, yeah, you know, exactly. any kind of physical activity. And Ian talking about how he wishes he could build a home like those of the Aztecs in England, but. Yeah, Adobe yeah. probably wouldn't go over him too well. No, the weather would not. Not in the 1960s. No. Oh, and in the weather, for that matter. Susan has some nice moments, especially her remark about cutting out people's hearts and chucking them down the temple stairs, which is another line that's not in the original. There are plenty of things. There are all sorts of things. Even at the beginning of Chapter 4, Lucarati has the doctor point out something I'd always wondered about. How would the people below ever hear the ceremony? Right. They don't. They don't. <laughs> they don't. It's all action. It's all observing what's happening. Yeah, it's just being present for it. The only people that need to know the words are the people upstairs actually doing the ceremony. Exactly. It's just the church back in the day. Exactly. Yeah. And the people behind the BBC cameras <laughs> yeah. filming the whole thing. 
how about the characters? How, apart from the TARDIS crew, how well written are these characters, Otlock and Plotoxel, or did those names just sort of blur into one uber Aztec for you? No, I thought they, they each, each of the supplementary characters really had like a, without being, you know, as well-rounded as the TARDIS crew, like, mm-hmm. you still got who they were, how they were, their demeanor. There were a, a lot of um, descriptors of kind of them being menacing right. or, you know, um, Outlock always seemed more calm and introspective mm-hmm. and... Uh, Constantly fingering his posy. Yeah, and Tlatoxel <laughs> always seemed very like accusatory and very much like, I know the right answer, mm-hmm. I am the one in authority, I am this, I am this, I am this. Um... Yeah, I feel like a lot of a lot of the supplementary characters really set them. They were they were whole characters, even though that was just for this adventure. Okay, I agree. The only guy who got a little bit puzzling to me, and it was wasn't because I didn't understand until like, and then he was a snake, was um, the sacrifice. I don't know how to say his name. Tlaxel. Oh, Tlaxel or whatever. Tlaxel. The the guy who was the the sacrifice guy. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, his little guy. His like his second command. It was something with an A. It was something with an A. It sounded like Tanella. Tanella. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, him. He was kind of like mudded up in my brain, but at the end, he was uh, he came in full force because he was like a little like a little snake guy. You know what I mean? He was a little jerk. So I was like, okay, that guy. You gotta watch out for him. Right. But everybody else's characters were really like defined, Mm -hmm. and I thought because of the names, you know, that they would get kind of confusing. Because I didn't know how to pronounce that right. one, but um, yeah, no. Every color, every character stood out and had its own place, and you didn't get. I actually thought with these this book, the characters themselves, other than the TARDIS crew, were probably the most standoutish. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it was weird because of their names that I thought that that would like kind of make it different. But it's know? the opposite way. Exactly. Yeah. Who was your favorite among those characters? I like Outlock. I liked him just. I, I always tend to gravitate towards calm priest like you know characters. Someone who is looking more um, for a larger answer to a problem as opposed to just thinking he automatically knows what's right and wrong. Right. Um, I just I really liked him. I liked some of his back and forth with Barbara. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not not necessarily disagreeing with her immediately saying like i want to believe you i want to believe that you are this person you say you are or at least someone who is not going to try to lie to me and right. try to use me even if you aren't you know eventually which is like, exactly what she's doing yeah and he's like even if you aren't this person you're you're not doing anything to prove to me that you are going to deceive me in any way yeah. So he he does give her trust, even when she doesn't necessarily prove that she deserves it. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, and then um, is it Kameka? Kameka. Mm-hmm. I really liked. I really liked her. I'm gonna yeah. totally agree with you on both of those things. You know. Yeah. And there's not much more to add to it. But, um, <laughs> no, like I totally agree with you. Like he's my number one character that I liked, mm-hmm. and then she was the second. Okay. They both had like good qualities. They both advanced the story a lot. They made the story better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just both had... They were, like, the two most standoutish characters. Even though, you know, most people go for, like, the bad guys. I guess, like, both of us are into the good guys. <laughs> right, yeah. And that would be me, too. Yeah. I, I adore Kameka. Yeah. I really do. I love the televised version because, for some reason, Lucarati describes her as plump. 
I kind of got that. She's not. No. <laughs> and he describes Tanilla at one point as portly and balding, and that's not, no, that character not the show. <laughs> does not, the show. not look like that no. at all. That's what I kind of got out of her, though. Like, my thought of how she would look would be kind of like a pretty, like, little old lady. Yeah. yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Is. Like a sweet little old lady, yeah. but that's, like, cute and, like, seemed like would be the doctor's type. She is very, um, she's a very forceful, very formidable woman. In the uh, televised version. Again, we'll have to watch it whenever we have our pizza party. Yeah, we have to have her. Yes. I got I got some of that from the description in the book too, though. It was pr- it was more like she had she had come to this this place in Aztec society where she could just be this old grandma type, mm-hmm. but back yeah. in her day, and and even even mm-hmm. they they kind of described her as as that of way of like she was strong yeah even though she was, she was old. well that's who i like that's what i liked about her too that i didn't um talk about was that you know even you know the like priest of knowledge or whatever was like you know i come to you for advice all the time like in a different world you would be me and i'd be a farmer exactly. you know what i mean yeah. so like it's all about the place and the time and where they're at that's like okay, well, women here in this time, they have to get married to people they don't want to get married to and all this other stuff. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So, like, for her time, she's, like, the smartest person, and she just so happens to be a woman. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think the only reason that Barbara, for instance, is uh, accepted as an authority figure is because she's believed to be the reincarnation of a male priest. Mm -hmm. So, apart from that, I'd say that Kameka is probably the strongest female character yeah. yeah except for when barbara pulls the knife on flotoxel yeah i love that moment yeah 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 well, she i mean got him yeah. behind i adore that she says if you're if when he says if you're a god save him and she pulls a knife and holds it to his throat yeah. and says okay that was good oh. <laughs> see there's that espionage there's that spy movie there's that james bond oh yeah it's like and yeah. it seems to work just as well on the page too yeah. which is really quite nice there there are many improvements that luke riley makes and my notes are full of them it's just ridiculous especially barbara figuring out herself that her drink is poison for instance yeah mm-hmm. yeah that doesn't happen in the televised version ian knows it's poison and he warns her off yeah uh. but uh but i think i think that's important realizing you know they've tried to fool me once mm-hmm. and now i'm not gonna fall for it again i'm going to be wary Right. And I'm going to be, you know, no. Yeah. I'm not going to fall for that twice. Yeah. Plus, she was already knowing that they're like on some shit anyway. Right. Exactly. <laughs> she was like, these guys are not in my favor. Like, I'm going to watch everything they do. I always wondered why it was that she actually bothers to tell Totoxel. She says, you would have killed me because I'm not your taxa. She just comes right out. Yeah, that was something that I thought was kind of dumb. Yeah. That was another one of those things where, like, she should have just kept her mouth shut. Mm-hmm. I've never understood that moment in the story. Yeah. Because it makes that's no the, sense. That's the well, last Well, because then she's like, oh, well, then if you try to tell anybody, they're not going to believe you. Like, of course and they yeah, might believe she tries her. to pull rank on him. Yeah. And on it's top like, of it. And then realizes that she's messed it all yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. But still, she messes like, it why all Why would you up. even bother? Yeah. It's just a very, very Yeah, that odd was odd to me. Are there any other odd moments that you can think of or any other moments that work particularly well for you? Uh, I really like the sequence of Ian um, getting in back up into the tomb. Oh, really? The kind of Indiana Jones 
uh, spot with the doctor, you know, getting him back to the tunnel that he then has to crawl through, and the water fills up, and he can take his last breath, and And he finds the skeleton. Yeah, and then he gets out, and then it's just like this really, I don't know, I'd have to go back and kind of read the description of it, but yeah, Mm -hmm. just the way that he ended up kind of in this solitary Space. Him having to climb up the rocks as they yeah. were falling down, and then he sees the dude's dad yeah. skeleton. Yeah, like then, what was he doing up there? Yeah, he um, that he had gone in at one point to do some maintenance. Oh, and that's trapped. what happened. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because he had disappeared. Oh. Yeah, because that was the thing. They, they, no one knew what I happened. I didn't figure to the him. maintenance part. I just didn't understand like why he was there. Yeah, he'd gone into it for something or yeah, other. Yeah. I don't think Maybe he went to go steal more jewelry really for what Yeah, I don't think it's ever really described why he went in. They just say yeah. that he disappeared in the garden one yeah. day. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that part was very interesting to me. It's, it's like, better on the page than it is in the televised version. Really? The televised version, oh my god. It's just, oh, it's the worst type of mime acting. I can or, like see it being like a guy going up like a like a big. Like it's a big basically rock. William Russell <laughs> doing this against a wall, and it's like, oh, for God's sake, that just looks awful. And you never get a sense of what he's actually doing. You just yeah. know that the water's rising, yeah. but then suddenly he's above the water. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, this makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Yeah, because well, and and in the book, it definitely gives you like the sense of urgency of, oh crap, he's gonna die, he's yeah. gonna get stuck, he's not gonna get out. Of of course, you know, he's he's lost forever. Right. And I myself, I loved that all the moves Ian was putting on the people, like the pressure points. <laughs> that was my favorite part about it was that like he's like defeating this Aztec warrior who's yeah. like trained in like Mortal Kombat. Like <laughs> pressure points. Yeah, like, I thought that was great. Like, the part where they talked about him getting him in a full Nelson. Yeah, yeah. Like, That's what I thought was great. That oh, was like probably. Okay, most... Ian, go ahead. So, yeah. so <laughs> far, like, I was like, "There's no way you're gonna beat this guy." And then I was like, "Oh, pressure points." Yeah. Got him. So like, Ian Chesterton knows uh, pressure points. Jiu-jitsu. He knows jujitsu. Yeah. He knows judo. Karate. He knows karate. <laughs> he can box. Yeah. The hell. He just knows why, everything. Yeah. Why is like, he a why science he a teacher? <laughs> You should be running a he gym in East London or something. <laughs> yeah. But then he never would have ended up uh, traveling with the Tarsus crew. Yeah. yeah, it is bizarre. Anything that didn't work for you? Just what I stated earlier with the whole string thing and okay. trying to get into the The physics. Yeah, yeah the, the quick ending. The, yeah. The, the wrap it up ending. Yeah. It's just I like, kind of done without that. Yeah. They could have made it like 150 pages. I would have read the extra 30 pages. Yeah, and I would have too. Especially yeah. with the yeah. story. Or just, yeah. a, or just a little more... Like one or two Anything. more pages of like how it actually was working, yeah. or whatever. Actually, I should ask you, Dalton. Does this book work better for you than Marco Polo? Yeah, yeah, and I like Marco Polo. Yeah, um, I remember. You I enjoyed that. Marco Polo. I feel like this one, though, um, as opposed to Marco Polo, that had a lot of what you would call the you have called the travel off, the star date, blah blah blah. Today <laughs> we're here. You right. know, we're going through the Gobi Desert. It's like, okay, like how much mm. more of the desert is the desert is the All desert. Seven episodes worth. Um, <laughs> this one really, there was a lot going on. And even though there was a lot going on, I still like kept up with it. Mm-hmm. I still was interested in it. Um, and I feel like it was, it was an appropriate length. Mm-hmm. 
It didn't. It didn't feel like it was too much to put in there, and it didn't feel like it was too little to put in there. And I think that comes from Lucarati adapting a four-part story as opposed to a seven-parter. Yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. It's still his script, but he's got the same page count to have to deal with. And this one, he's able to expand on things that he always wanted to expand on. Whereas Marco Polo, he's like, no, I got to report yeah. dialogue. He doesn't. He still does that here, but not as much. So, yeah, I like this one better, too. Well, as we always do, let's go to goodreads.com for online reviews of the book written by other readers, then follow up with our own ratings. By the way, if you're listening to this podcast and want to have your review featured when we get to an upcoming book, simply read the book, write a review on Goodreads, and then write a comment on our Facebook page so that we have a chance to see it before discussing the book ourselves. You may just get your review read out loud here, and if you put a comment on our page, you of course get a free book. No one's been commenting on the page, so it's been very difficult to find people to send free books to. Jerks. Yeah. Free books, guys. <laughs> Don't call them jerks. <laughs> They're not jerks. <laughs> I'm now, I'm this jerk. is what you can comment on the Facebook page about, the fact that Sheena called you all jerks. Okay. I may just leave that in. <laughs> the average rating. The average rating for this story, the average rating for this story out of five stars is 3.53. Hmm. Here are some sample reviews. Nicholas White does not give it a starred reading, but apparently he didn't like it. I was disappointed by Lucrati's novelization of The Massacre, which struck much more closely to his original script than the show's broadcast, and that's coming up later. Here again, he's added bits and pieces which presumably were in the original concept, and I was again disappointed, but for a different reason. The narration is strangely flat. You said it was flat. And you really miss the performances of the actors breathing life into Lucarotti's lines back in 1964. One cannot help but feel that the production team on the whole did Lucarotti a favor by editing his material. Also, he has a really annoying habit of mixing indirect speech with direct speech. Yes! I'm sorry, I just realized that was in that review. Mm. That's something I said last time. It reads like a desperate attempt to make a novel out of a TV script. Uh, Stephen Poor gave it four stars. Unlike many of the straight target novelizations thus far, this one really stands up on its own as a solid piece of writing. As much as Aztec civilization and culture is alien to us, he's made a fine attempt at showing how jarring the clash between modern social mores and the Aztec way of life would be. The only three, there are only three main strands to the story, however, and Susan's character is effectively relegated to a bit part because of that. But this is more than made up for by the focus on Barbara's frustration and not being able to change history at all. And finally, Layla Anani, who gave it three stars, writes, The Doctor, Hartnell, and companions Barbara and Ian take the TARDIS back to Mexico in 1507 in the midst of the Aztec civilization. The beginning of this is excellent, but I lost interest in the middle. It has a heartbreaking end in which we realize that historical timelines cannot be changed, underscoring the tragic nature of a Time Lord. That makes sense. Definitely not my favorite Who story. Being an Aztec tale, it has lots of complicated, silly-sounding names and not enough action to sustain my undivided attention in the middle. It's also not the best production William Russell reads it. Oh, she's listening to the audiobook but doesn't have the presence of some of the other narrators. For those who like historical who tales, give this a go, but it's definitely not the best out there. Okay, well, out of five stars. Dalton, what would you give this one? Mm, I'm leaning towards like a four. 
Okay. Just because of the, all of the elements involved, all of the all of the things I like. Like like I said, like this reminds me a lot of it is like a spy story. It very much is like each character is having to figure out a part of a puzzle in a way, mm-hmm. and they're all you know working towards getting out of there. Um, and a lot of times they're working on parts of a puzzle that are conflicting to each other. Um, you know, with with all of the two-facedness of some of the characters, you know, yeah. the doctor thinking he's helping someone and it's really hurting one of his uh, oh, companions. Yeah. We didn't really talk about that. Um, yeah, I, I really, I really liked it. Um, some of the the reading is, you know, a bit wordy and it's kind of long, but I enjoyed it. I, I read through it pretty quickly. Um, there's a lot of action. There's a lot of just it goes it goes it goes it goes you kind of just start reading and can't stop reading okay um yeah i really enjoyed it and i think i i've, I've talked about that before how the the reading level itself is it's for like preteens it's for you know sure. or teenagers it's it's not for like critical adults yeah so Which is that fine. that type of writing given that like mm-hmm. yeah I would, I would have loved to have read this as a teenager. Okay, so, yeah. Sheena. I need to start writing down when I give things <laughs> <laughs> because you know it's coming. <laughs> okay, um, I would give it like a three point six five. I liked it a lot. I know at the beginning I said I didn't, but I did. Um, <laughs> I didn't say I didn't like it. I just said it was kind of like it was kind of like I don't know, like a really simple read, and but I did like all the things. That were pointed out in our conversation, like the moral stuff, mm-hmm. the um, philosophical stuff. I liked that. I yeah. liked some of the things kind of seemed kind of hokey a little bit, which was okay. Um, I did like little Easter, like little stuff, like you know the whole little romance and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I think it was a good book. I like that it was in the Americas because we haven't read one where it has been right. in the Americas yet. Yeah, that's true. So um, that was pretty interesting. But yeah, so I, I, I liked it. I mean, if I were going to give somebody a book to probably read first, mm-hmm. even though I've given other books better ratings, I'd probably have them read this, like one of the first really? ones. Really? Okay. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's a good story because like you can kind of re- not relate to it, but you kind of understand like what's... Mm-hmm. going on in the story just because it's on this planet. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get that. But, yeah, yeah so I liked it. I liked the fact that it mm-hmm. had to do with, like, a time frame in, on Earth, even though I kind of like the time frames that aren't on Earth better, right. so that's probably why I like the more sci-fi mm-hmm. stories. But um, that's just me. And for me, while I still think Luke Roddy does do far too much reporting of dialogue, he pulls this story off so much better than he does Marco Polo. Probably because the story is less a travelogue and more specifically a novel of political machinations and intrigue. While the televised story is among the best of the best. Digital Spy actually called it one of the ten best episodes of all time. You know, I gotta see it. Yeah, you do. Yeah. It's it's just amazing. Lucarati actually improves on some of it in this book, deepening some of the interactions with Kameka, fixing some inconsistencies, making Barbara's saving of Outlock more immediate, even making Ian less a cold-blooded murderer, if that's actually what he was. I was fully expecting not to like this one, rereading it after reading uh, Marco Polo, but while it's not one of the best historicals, those are still coming. We're going to read some kick-ass historical books quite soon. This is definitely Lucarati's best work. 
reflecting what an amazing job he did on screen. So I'd give this one 3.8 out of 5 stars. Mm, that's a high yeah. score from you. Yeah, yeah, definitely for Luke Arati, it's a yeah. high score. <laughs> All right, well, thank you guys again for being part of this, and thank you, fellow time travelers, for giving us your valuable time. Next time we'll be reading Doctor Who, The Sensorites, which is a science fiction-y Yay. one, so there we go. In the meantime, if you've liked what you've heard here, like us on Facebook. If you had a comment on that page, if you think there's something we missed here, or you just want to tell us you like us in words, you'll be entered in our next Target book giveaway. This time, some lucky fan randomly picked by me will get a gently used copy of Doctor Who and the Tenth Planet, the first story with the Cybermen, the Cybermen that are about to come back in the Peter Capaldi season that we're about to get. The original Cybermen. Oh, back. Yes, the Mondasian Cybermen, the one that looks look all crazy. And yeah, I'm so looking forward to it. I'm going to squee on, on uh, Mike. Sorry. Check our Facebook page at Doctor Who Target Book Club Podcast. All in worth of those spaces for more details. Also, feel free to give us a thumbs up on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter, we're at DWTargetBC, or subscribe to us via the podcast provider of your choice. We are on, deep breath, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. TuneIn's the one I forgot last time. Sorry, yeah. TuneIn. Sorry, TuneIn. Yes, yeah, so if you really like us or you really, really don't like us, post your comments, suggestions, questions, or any of or all of the above platforms. Email us at dwtargetbc at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening, and until then, enjoy your travels. Bye-bye. Sorry I called Bye. you jerks. <laughs>